it's a pleasure to be able to teach today. It always is. If you are uh, ever wondering, like, man, I really would, would like to develop a hunger for God's Word, two things can almost guarantee a hunger. Um, a deadline and knowing you'll have to present it to others. <laughs> that, that will drive you to the Word of God. So, I mean, I'm not proud to say those are the two pr uh, primary motivators for me to study God's Word, but they have worked like a charm. They've never failed to drive me to God's Word. Um, sometimes on Saturdays, um, it's always more relaxing if it drives me to the Saturday before, but uh, I'm really thankful because I know um, and Ken would testify the same, and, and I know Andy, when he was teaching as well actively, uh, it just, to the, the way we've set things up has been a gift to us as teachers um, because it has put um, pressure on us to handle the Word of God correctly. And that sometimes we know we've failed to do that, but I think you, you trust us in that, hey, we're doing, we're doing not maybe our best, but we are giving it a shot, so... Uh, Ken last week, and then we hashed on it again um, in Sunday school, really out of the theme as we finished up Luke 8, was talking about this word, the desperation. And if, if I said, you know, there's certain topics I could tell you I'm going to present to you today that just would make any of us squirm in our seat. Um, and if I said, oh, I want to make you feel desperate today, like that's not a good time. Like that's not a good feeling to be desperate for something. Um, we felt it in different ways at different parts of our lives. All of us have a desperation. Um, <clears throat> and I mean, it's probably tied to some of the most uncomfortable feelings we've ever had of like maybe desperate to see someone come back to life, you know, as Jairus was. Uh, desperate to save our own skin as the disciples on the boat, you know, were. Uh, desperate to not be humiliated anymore. Like humiliation can cause desperation, uh, similar to the women, woman who was bleeding. But what did desperation do for all of them? It drove them to Jesus. And it is sad, as Ken pointed out, that it takes for me the port of last resort where Jesus sits sometime. Like, oh, I've tried everything on my own. There's Jesus. Well, but, you know, thank God that sometimes he would allow me to get to the port of last resort, and there he stands as arms wide open as if he was my first choice. And we'll get to dive that theme further in the gospel. I mean, a lot of a lot of Luke, I think, is leading up to the prodigal son story, right? Of, of all that happens in that story and in both the, the son who thinks he deserved more than he got and the son who feels like he got so much more than he deserved. <clears throat> I think the theme of desperation is something that all of us as Christ seekers and followers should clamor for. If we ever lose a desperation for a Savior, then he will cease to be a Savior. If we ever lose a desperation for a Savior, he will cease to be a Savior because without the desperation means we do not understand how we've broken God's law, which means we don't understand we're left for death. Like, that is the outcome. And I think some of us think, well, like, surely, I think there's this hidden, like, belief of, like, well, surely I'm not meant for death or destined for death. It's like, no, that's, that's one of the most certain things for all of humanity, that we're all destined for death because we have broken with perfection of which our God demands. 
holy, righteousness, perfection, all synonyms for each other. And so to ever fall away from that desperation, like we need something to have paradise restored, to have perfection restored, to have a chance to get out of hell, both that we already experienced and maybe and what the demons said, do not cast us in the abyss. We're good being here in this naked crazy man, but not the abyss. Like, wow. So the abyss is worse than being a naked crazy man. Like, we know that's worse than that. And that's like, we're as desperate as a naked crazy man doomed to the hills. And that's not even the worst of it, according to the demons possessed in Luke chapter 8. So you can use your imagination. Um, I've heard some people say, like, oh, you know what? If, if that's God, I don't want him. You know, I'll, I'll stick with hell. I'll take my chances as hell if that's God. Like, are you insane? Like, hell by its definition is just the, the worst of the worst all piled into one, one thought, one idea, hell. We don't claim to understand the depths of it and how bad it might actually get. But if we've tasted it, you know, like, it's, it's everything you don't want, <laughs> almost by definition. And so I am hoping that I never lose uh, touch with that word right there, desperation. And I hope that, um, that our own either desperation or lack of it will, will, be a, will be a check on us of like, what do I actually believe about Jesus? And I think there's a lot of checks Jesus gives us to, to say, I, I'll let you take your, uh, your temperature. I'll, I'll give you plenty of tools to take your temperature and see what do you believe about me? Um, and I think that's why this, his ministry was three years, and we have a lot more to cover in the Gospel of Luke instead of just like, I'm the Savior. Here I come, and I'm going to die. As soon as he starts his ministry, he didn't do that. Like He gave us three years of like eye-openers, eye-openers for the disciples, and we can see kind of some of their, their denseness like actively falling away as we progress through Luke's recalling of these things, and we can use them to relieve our own denseness about the fullness of Christ. You know, and I think we can have an idea of Christ and an understanding maybe of even Christ as Savior. But it's like, it's a journey to, to get more and more glimpses of just the fullness of just how he covers everything. It's not just the healing of the sick. It's also control of the weather. It's not just control of the weather. It's also power over spiritual forces and demons. It's not just power over spiritual forces. It's power over death itself. And it's just this journey we're on. So this is, this is remarkable things. Um, and it, it finds its seeds, the soil, I think, in our own desperation. And one of the areas that makes me feel desperate is any time I have um, had it put to me about my lack of desire to... <laughs> and that's kind of where we come to in Luke chapter 9. But a question for you first. If someone needs your help, would you give it? I'd imagine that 99% of people in Andrew County would answer that question affirmatively, affirmatively right? Um, and it's really easy to say, yeah, of course, in a time, but then even getting the phone calls, I imagine if any of you, I called you, um, that it'd be 100% in this room, that I'm pretty comfortable with all of you. If I said, hey, I need your help, you're, I, I think on the other side of that phone, you'd be like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to help you, Wakefield. I believe that about you. And I think that would be true of even most people in our community, in our county. Um, but it's not quite that simple because it's always a, at what cost. I couldn't ask you anything and you'd be like, oh yeah, no problem. There would be a, a certain cost you'd be willing to pay. And I, Sarah and I talked about this question yesterday and she's like, yeah, it would depend on who, who it's for, the kind of help I get, what I'd be willing to give um, and cost. 
uh, the price I'd be willing to pay. So I just just consider that question. Um, if someone needs your help, what price would you be pay, willing to pay to give that help? And then uh, as we turn there, I'd like us to have our scriptures in hand. It's going to start reading it to us soon. Uh, New Living Translation version. Uh, but Luke chapter 9. And it's got some funny voices to dramatize it. So just be ready chapter for that. Nine. Don't let it distract you. One day Jesus called together his 12 apostles and gave them power and authority to cast out demons and to heal all diseases. Then he sent them out to tell everyone about the coming of the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Don't even take along a walking stick, he instructed them, nor a traveler's bag, nor food, nor money, not even an extra coat. When you enter each village, be a guest in only one home. If the people of the village won't receive your message when you enter it, shake off its dust from your feet as you leave. It is a sign that you have abandoned that village to its fate. So they began their circuit of the villages, preaching the good news and healing the sick. When reports of Jesus' miracles reached Herod Antipas, he was worried and puzzled because some were saying, This is John the Baptist come back to life again. Others were saying, It is Elijah or some other ancient prophet risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said. So who is this man about whom I hear such strange stories? And he tried to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. And he welcomed them, teaching them about the kingdom of God and curing those who were ill. So that's uh, Luke chapter 9, 1 through 10. I want to also read you, in light of that, and keep in mind the, the main gist of that there was Jesus having his disciples, who all of a sudden are transformed from disciples to apostles, those sent. Um, so we saw that transformation there, and then the wording of Luke changes after that too. Then he says, as he gathered his apostles back. But I also want to read uh, these words from Tim, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy, and this is second letter, Timothy chapter 4. Really, if you have uh, some time with scripture this week, I'd encourage you to read all of second Timothy. It's You could read it in 15 minutes or less. Um, but this is just chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and extort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So um, one could argue like, okay, that's very specific to Timothy. Um, and we, I don't know if that call applies to me. Um, but what we do know is that through Christ, we are now a royal priesthood. We are the priests. We, we have the message of God. Uh, and we see that Jesus specifically was delegating now this power to spread this word, which we talked about a little in Sunday school this morning, the, the interesting nature of Jesus saying sometimes, hey, go spread this, sometimes pull it back. But here we have one in the camp of like, hey, go spread this. Um, and exactly his intentions were not always clear 
Um, but what we see here is he's getting ready to move on from the north, Galilee, down into Jerusalem. So it's almost like, all right, now that I'm pretty much done here and moving on, let's set fire to this place, you know, like in a good way. And so he's sending out the, the apostles to not only declare the kingdom of God, but do it with authority and power, including the power to heal diseases and cast out demons, which is a lot there. And I don't have a blanket theological statement to see how exactly that applies to us. Um, but what we see is him delegating that authority to others, right? He's given a chance for others to share in that power. But keep in mind, 12 apostles, 12 disciples turn into apostles. One of those apostles is going to betray him to death, right? So we think, man, if I was sent out to heal diseases and remove demons and proclaim the kingdom of God as arriving, you would think that pretty much guarantee my own, like, yeah, I'm one of the elect. I'm one of the saved. But what do we know about Judas is that he's cursed, right? He's very clearly cursed as we see his story played out. So I think there's an encouragement here because what happened to me and what has happened to me and still happens to me is that I felt guilty every time I was called to proclaim the kingdom of God through a salvation through Christ and, and having a need for sinners to have a savior. You know, it's not fun in itself because honestly, what we go out with the, the message of God is a message of desperation. That's where it starts. And you can imagine it's not ever comfortable to get someone to come to grips with their desperation. I am more convinced than ever that everyone I see, all parts of the day, all channels, are desperate people. Like, I, I just, I'm so firmly um, in view of that now, that all of us, and you can look at me and see a desperate man too. Um, but to actually get to the point where you're trying to reveal that to somebody doesn't sound like fun. And I felt all of that uh, when I was a kid. Like, I feel the weight of I need to be sharing this gospel. But I don't want to because it's uncomfortable. Uh, and I don't see like the scorecard of like, all right, Wake, you got 10 more people to share the gospel with this year before you can gain your righteousness. And that's really how I treated sharing the gospel. And so I think it's important to recognize, I think that's a pretty common motivation to share the gospel. Why? Because I feel guilty if I don't. Now, some of that guilt may be well-placed because what we'll see in a second is if we have something that we believe is truly good, it probably should well up in us a desire to share it. And I think what I did is I lacked the understanding of how good the gospel is to say my sins are actually paid for. But it was a matter of Wakefield thinking that, ah, if I don't share this gospel, I am guilty like, no, I'm not guilty for not sharing the gospel. I'm guilty already. <laughs> I'm guilty and I'm left guilty if I don't have a savior. And the only way I have a savior is faith in a savior. And true faith would motivate me to have good news that I can, anyone's life can be transformed. The invitation is open. So there's a lot of worrying within me about even coming to this scripture because I know I've been made really uncomfortable by the thought of missions. However, in that too, because of those motivations that I know I felt and some of you may be familiar with, there is a huge temptation for false teachers 
why did Judas go out on this journey? Because he's like, I'm, I'm happy with my role here. Jesus is a great teacher. He's a social and cultural disruptor. And that's exactly what this area needs right now in this time of history. And he was happy to be a follower of Jesus in that context, evidently. And so did that make him a, you know, honestly able to point to the true power of the miracles and demon exorcism? Well, it looked like the fruit was pretty good, but at the heart of it were different motives. And we see those motives not just a couple times in Scripture. We see them often. Um, in fact, in Deuteronomy, um, which is very early in our Scriptures, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, Moses said this, But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know? That's a pretty big conviction. How may we know that the word of the Lord has not spoken? Who's, who's the arbiter of that truth? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not to be afraid of him. So there uh, is a lot of presumption pointed to there. I know the most recent example is high profile is there were so many quote unquote prophets who said Donald Trump would be president on January 20th of 2021. They were loud and proud about it. Did Donald Trump become president on January 20th, 2021? He did not. He did not. Yes. Newsflash. And so these are people who have active and alive ministries who are still taking in lots of monies, and they happen to ask for those monies pretty often, along with their prophecies. And when it tickled our ears, now this is a message we can get along with. Now, I admit, I, from November to January, I was pretty skeptical that I don't know how this is going to pull off. And all of a sudden, you know, evidently other people were too, and it motivated some to storm the Capitol. But what we know is it did not disrupt Joe Biden from being inaugurated as president. Now, where are those prophets after the fact who said, this, the Lord has given me this vision. He has shown me. I'm not willing to execute them because <laughs> I don't think Deuteronomy applies cleanly to a Christ-saved uh, church. However, I am warned about them. And I think we have to be really careful because it is really easy in the not so much the weather, because people are really hard on weather forecasters. With uh, sports forecasters, you can say whatever you want, and you don't really have to be held to task on it. Uh, stock market forecasters, there's always somebody predicting the next recession. It says economists are so good, they have predicted the last four of the last nine, or they've predicted nine of the last four market crashes. Um, and, and, and in this sense, if like, yeah, if you can put anything out there and then delete it later or like, well, come up with excuses of why. We've talked about it before related to end times. How many times has someone published like end times date right here? And then it comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And so why do we believe certain messages? Where does our, where does our trust in them come from? And it can be really difficult sometimes. I'm not claiming that it's like, it's obvious that those people are liars. No, but we should be paying attention. 
And we should know that there is a clear motivation and temptation for false prophecy, false promises, false messages. Even from me, even from Ken, there's parts of our life that start to alter um, parts of our identity that's away from Christ. It's not fully come un- under Christ yet. That starts to alter even how I, I read Luke chapter 9, these first 10 verses. And you have to be careful because if I really have an identity that I'm will- not willing to give up for the sake of Christ and understanding his word purely, then all of a sudden that's probably going to come in and, and manipulate the word of God a little bit. I pray and I fight against it and I hope you're praying against that too. But this is humanity. This is imperfect humanity. And the word of God may be perfect, but the interpretation is not always. So we have to be on our guard. And one of your best ways to do that is to not rely upon another human to, to give you your interpretation to Scripture solely, right? Because I'm saying Bible teaching is obviously changing the world. However, any any one Bible teacher can distort the word of God and provide false messages uh, and just have motivations that are crazy. In Acts chapter 8, Simon the sorcerer, it says he heard the word from uh, Philip and he believed and was baptized. Great, that sounds like we're going to get to see Simon in heaven. Except then what comes out is he says, hey, those miracles you're doing are really awesome. Like, I'll pay for that power. And Peter rebukes him like, you may be cursed. Like, be cursed, Simon. Uh, And that's the end of that story. Like, we don't see, like, all right, I don't know if Simon came out of that or not. He believed and was baptized, but then he was cursed. And so, you know, we'll find out. But someone who can genuinely want this message, want the gospel, want Christ, but then all of a sudden, like, yeah, but it's still going to be a secondary identity because I want to be one who does miracles. I want to be one who has this, has that. And you remember some of the lists I've given the past few weeks I've uh, taught. What might identity creep in that ever pushes out the primary identity of I'm a, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christ follower. So be careful. Uh, and in that, oh, that's left over, sorry. Uh, what mission, so turning that, like there can be false teachers in here, and I, I'm on my guard for that. What's your motivation to go on a mission? What mission are you really on right now? Because you might say, oh, I'm not a missionary. Like, well, you are, it's just maybe your mission doesn't have much to do with Christ. Like, you leave these doors, you have things you need to do today. There are little missions here and there. Like, I have a mission to see my family and let them know I love them. I have a mission to get ready for work or school. I have a mission to do this, this, that. Like, you have no less than probably hundreds of missions that you're going to try to attempt to get done this week. Um, And so that word, though, a mission, has often been, like, just used to define, oh, let's take take a religious message out to the world, and then we have missionaries. Missionaries are often known to be sent to the ends of the world and largely because of the Great Commission. Like, go to the ends of the earth. Let them know that there is a Savior and that he paid for sin and risen from the dead. And so often now we think missionaries do go to the ends of the earth and thank God that they do because there's a promise that, hey, when this gospel message has been fully spread, that's when God's kingdom can come. However, uh, that can neglect the fact that even uh, going across the street might have a mission element to it. That the conversation you have with a coworker, with your children, 
This is a mission. A mission of mine sits right over here, right? My conversations with my wife, like, might it be that we are a missionary to each other, right? And we get a little bit kind of like, oh, in America, like, oh, we send missionaries out to the world, and like, no, the world sends missionaries to us, you know? And we'd be surprised that maybe we are in need of a missionary still, someone with a mission to help reveal the truth of God to me in my life, because maybe I don't understand it completely, or it hasn't hit to the depths of my soul completely yet. So, what mission are you on? You are on one. Most of you are like, okay, nice question, Wakefield. You're not applying it to yourselves. And I'd ask you, what, what are, you, are you on? What is your goals as far as this week goes? And do any of those missions, any of those goals, any of those tasks cross over with the gospel? Now, I think God really diverse and really creative, much more than I probably even imagined. So I think there would be uh, ways, and you know, Chris has often touted Michael Horton's book, Ordinary, of like God's glory can come in the most ordinary ways. You know, someone created this nice seat you sit on, and that nice seat now lets you sit here. And like, there can be God-glorifying qualities in the making of that chair, or the planting of this, uh, this fern here, plant, whatever. <laughs> God's glory can be shown in the simplest of things. Some of you wear glasses. Like, that's pretty God glory. That's pretty cool glory that you can see much clearer right now because of that eye correction than left without it. Um, to be able to see God's glory in the ordinary is a true gift. Uh, so, I'm not suggesting that, oh, great, like, explicitly, how are you speaking Christ? I think it can be done in many ways. But ultimately, I know there's also the temptation to excuse our unwillingness to put people in a desperation for the gospel um, and call it like, oh, this is just how I'm called to do it. Why do I know that? Because I'm guilty of it. I've been afraid to declare the gospel because I didn't believe the gospel. I believed in a social construct to help me do good works and heap them up in hopes that I would outdo other people and qualify for heaven. As opposed to, there's nothing Wakefield can do. And therefore, I have the pressure off of me to step into the good works already created for me on my behalf and do as many, if not more, good works as when I was trying to do them on my own power. And have missions that now actually like, hey, do I, am I completely comfortable asking tough questions to people? No, I'm still not. As much as you might uh, beg to differ, I'm not. Because I don't like to make people feel desperate. But what I like even more than my dislike for making people feel desperate is the ability to make people feel free. And where does freedom that last come from? It comes from money. No. It comes from Christ saying your identity of all the failures you've had, and you are a failure in many ways, all those failures are paid for. Like there's no pressure on you anymore. Any depression, any anxiety, any fears, Christ has said, check, check, check and check to a whole lot more boxes you don't even know you have yet. That is a great feeling. And it's something I believe has been done for me. It's been done for Sarah. And it's like, we want more people to have this. And therefore, a, a, a deeper belief, or maybe a truer understanding of the gospel, has made me unafraid to a high school guy now, who I used to be really afraid of high school guys, even though I was older than them. A high school guy, like, hey, so how are you feeling? fine and not afraid to be like, uh, no, you're clearly not fine. You know, even that statement, it takes some guts, but it's so true in so many of the high school guys I know. 
Um, and I have some that will not text me back at this very moment because, um, because I think they, I make them uncomfortable. And I expect to <laughs> uh, because I'm their coach. But also, it's like, I know you're not okay. And they might say, I'm okay. It's like, well, one thing God's given us a, enough experience with humanity now. Like, no, I know you're not okay. And so I'm not asking you right in this moment to change your life. All I want to know is what is really going on? What are you actually feeling right now? And I don't even have to worry about, like, how am I going to properly tell them about Christ? I do want to think about those things, but my first step is, like, just, like, show me your desperation. Just give me a glimpse, just a little hint of uncovering that desperation. Because there's an answer to that desperation. And some of us, you know, in this context, are applying, how do we get to our friends and neighbors and coworkers with this? It's really going to be hard to do if you don't first uncover your own desperation, Right? The gospel is, grows out of seed that's planted and watered and nourished, and then it produces fruit. But if it's a seed that's dried up on the soil, like it's not going to be fruitful. So the seed needs to find its, its roots in our own hearts first. And so that's where we come back, and I think the gospel does plenty to, to give us the thermometer of like, hey, do you believe this gospel? Um, there is a progression here, though. Uh, of how we get excited to share and be like these apostles and get sent by Christ to tell the ends of the earth. Uh, and I, I thought of it like this in the example. So my mom made me brush my teeth when I was young. Uh, we make our children brush their teeth today. Sometimes not always easy, right? Admit. And sometimes easy to be like, brushed them but didn't actually brush them, right? Happens. Happened probably to all of us, like if we're honest. So... Uh, I brushed my teeth when I was young out of being forced to, right? Uh, because then they had certain tools as parents to, if I don't brush my teeth, I don't get other things that are really important to me. So it went from force uh, to, I think, I hope it eventually went to just obedience. So even if I didn't think I was going to be withheld from something good, that I still did it just because my mom or dad asked me to. So from force to obedience. Um, and then from obedience to joyfully brushing my teeth. Like, I'm upset if I forget to brush my teeth or I don't get a chance to brush my teeth because I forgot my toothbrush. Because why? Well, ultimately, uh, to have a really nice smile and teeth that are healthy and well feel good. I've had one cavity and I was so proud for so long that I didn't have cavities and I think maybe it was like six years ago or something. Hey, congratulations, Dr. Jordan says you have your first cavity. And I was like, you. I, I still contend it probably wasn't that bad of a cavity, and I don't think he needed to go straight to filling. So, but I was like, lots of people get fillings. It's probably not big a deal. I still don't like the way that feeling, filling feels. A one filling, and I am upset still about that cavity. Uh, and largely was because I didn't floss as well as I should have. So now what have I done? I'm not only a good brusher, I'm also a good flosser. And flossing is not fun, right? Does anyone really, truly enjoy just the act of flossing? Maybe some do. Flossing isn't a lot of fun, but I now do it with joy because I hate fillings. And I do not want any more cavities. And it may not prevent cavities, but I, I take care of my teeth with joy. Teeth are something interesting for kids to have to figure out how to take care of. Because any one day, 
going without dental hygiene does not change your teeth. Any one week going out with dental hygiene probably starts to show up on a molecular level, certainly. But as far as, far as like, oh, Squire, your smile looks bad today. You've obviously not brushed your teeth for a week. Not going to happen. Breath is a different story, but not teeth itself. But you know, uh, and I'm not going to do it. Like, I could show you pictures of people who don't have good dental hygiene. And you can imagine what it looks like. It's just not even comfortable to look at. And so in those images of what we know, these things would become, with joy now, we go and we brush and we, some of us floss. Probably not as much as we should. But it's not because anyone now tells, like, you have to do this, but it's with joy. And I, I understand if you're in a place of like, okay, God forces me to do this. <laughs> forces me to spread the gospel, to go out with power. And, I, and this is a little bit because I don't think Luke 9 is our message to be like, see, your call is to go. I think we get that in the Great Commission later from Jesus. Like, we need to go. If you believe this, you will share it. This is particular, this call in Luke 9 is to the apostles. And seeing that Jesus had a delegating ability and willingness to delegate the spread of his kingdom through his followers. So I understand if you feel like it, it would only be force that makes me share the gospel with a friend. Okay, just pay attention. Observe that. Why would you have to be forced to do it? Because it's uncomfortable. Yeah, but so is hell. You know, so are so many things without the gospel are way more uncomfortable than the chance of rejection or making someone feel a little bit uncomfortable, of feeling uncomfortable themselves. Because it might be a lot uncomfortable. But then to move to obedience and saying, I, I still, like, I'm not motivated to share the gospel out of joy. That's okay. Observe that. But maybe out of obedience still, you can say, I... I, I do want to share with you. I would tell you that's okay to be sharing the gospel and the kingdom of God out of obedience. And I think God can sometimes work to replace a heart of stone with a heart of flesh out of obedient acts. I th I've seen him work that way in me. I think it's, I think it's possible. But the golden, <laughs> where, where God's graciousness is fully known is when we get to a point of seeing the gospel in a way that it is so good to be able to have this message of hope and truth. It is so good to hear a friend or classmate or colleague complain about the way this world has beaten them down, the way sin has beaten them down or the ones they love, and to be able to say, I know the answer. I know the answer. I know the hope. And to have that so convictedly assured within my own heart that it's like, okay, I just... It's like you have a wide open layup and you just don't want to miss. You know, like, okay, it's, you've like cleared the path. I have the ball. I just want to put it in. And that's, that's sometimes how I feel when I get to talk to, to high school guys right now or friends. It's like, oh, it's like the answer is clear. I don't want to, I just want to use my words well. I don't want to negate what scripture says and, and misrepresent the truth. And so that's what I would hope for all of us is that we would get to a chance where Jesus delegates his authority to us, which he has through his Holy Spirit now, and that we would be like, yeah, this is going to be good. Let's see what happens. As opposed to where many of us still are, and, and sometimes I still, I still feel, even though I have a lot of joy in sharing the kingdom of God, still like, uh. <laughs> And honestly, this may get us killed, and that would be okay. Um, but it's understandable if we're not, all right, we're maybe 
spiritually baby still growing into that spiritual meat of like, man, look, physical death is nothing to me. I feel like I'm getting closer and closer to that. Like physical death is just nothing to me, especially now that my kids are older than five years old. <laughs> like, like, oh, all right, Sarah will be fine with them. Like physical death, uh, just not as, but he would have been faithful even if they weren't older than five. And it cost me my life to share the kingdom of God. Here is some encouragement. I've talked a lot about um, the questions, right? They might help you. Maybe you have some specific people in mind of like, yeah, our relationship's just not like that anymore. If I tried to, you know, breach the subject of the gospel with them, it's just going to go really poorly, really fast. So I've mentioned him. I like him because of his example of asking questions to strangers, which I say, I don't, I don't know know that I endorse it personally, but he does really well. Ray Comfort starts with this question. Do you believe there's an afterlife? So he did this little back and forth with Kirk Cameron on one of Kirk Cameron's TBN shows. It's like, oh, we, because they, they have a long relationship with each other. And he's like, all right. Kirk's like, how, how would you do this? And Ray Comfort goes, well, do you believe there's an afterlife? And Kirk Cameron playing along was like, well, that's a little bit personal, you know, and, and Ray Comfort goes, honestly, no one ever says that. No one said, like, we have a lot of these answers that are out there of what people might say about us that are probably just false. Like, we answer for people, and we've honestly rejected the gospel on their behalf so many times by not even breaching a, a simple question. Do you believe there's an afterlife? Can you imagine how that might be enough to get a ball rolling, to get the water flowing. But you understand why you might not want to ask that question. Because it's not a simple yes or no question, even though it is. You know that the implications of someone's thoughts around that stretch to every choice we make. And so that's why we're afraid to ask that question. We know it. it's not meant to be a simple yes or no question. It's meant to open the eyes of hearts that are dark. Do you believe there's an afterlife? Yes? Okay. Then it goes from there. Do you think about it much? Are you afraid of death? And then that's when the gospel can actually start. When we actually can get the, the admission of desperation. Maybe we got things in order in this life, but the desperation of, hey, we don't have an answer to death. Um, smarter people than me are still trying to find an answer to how to get that fountain of youth going. They cannot do it. They haven't done it in history. And that's ultimately because of the question when we go in the gospel, do you know why we die? Do you know what the Bible says about why we die? And the Bible says what? The wages of sin is death. And so then the way Ray Comfort goes about it, he says, so God is paying us our wages. Do you think he's right to do that? Do you think he's justified in putting us to death? And that's often where people have the gray areas because they don't aren't willing to confront their own sin like no i'm not that bad you know i haven't murdered anybody and that's when he has a few questions of like okay have you ever lied have you ever been angry at someone you know uh the bible says you look at a woman with lust is to commit adultery in your heart have you ever you know and he he's practiced this many ways i'm not suggesting you have to go there i think if you get people talking about the afterlife and then considering the definition of perfect. Afterlife. Do you want the afterlife to be perfect, free of pain? Do you want that? No doubt we all would say, yeah, absolutely. Okay, why, how can perfection be attained? 
when there's justice. When justice removes all the imperfect to only leave the perfect. So therefore there must be justice. There must be payment for anything that's imperfect in the slightest. And where does that payment come from? From your good works and your keeping up good deeds. No. It comes from Christ and Christ alone. He's paid it. He's done it all the work for us. And to know that they're expecting to have the demands and obedience heaped upon them when in reality, Christ has already taken it completely away. It also takes practice. So if you are even like, I, you're applying this maybe in your mind a certain context of your life, don't worry about it. If you're like, I'm uncomfortable. I've never done this before. It's sometimes when I've asked the kids to try like, hey, try this new sport. Try swinging this racket for the first time. It just looks horrible. It's like everyone tries it a first time, which leads to the second time, which leads to the 1,000th time. And now all of a sudden, oh, look at that top spin right over the net. No problem. Why would our words and our thoughts around the gospel be any different? We're obviously created to practice and experience, you know? So take the pressure off yourself and also know to come humbly before the God who you say, I really, I, maybe you don't believe the gospel, right? And if you don't get ever comfortable with this, it might be an indication. Maybe you don't believe the gospel. Pay attention to that. That's great to know. Wouldn't you want to know if you don't actually have faith? So, where are you at? But then, out of like, yes, I do believe. All right. Well, then hit your knees before the Father and say, I, I want what you want for me. I want, I want to be able to answer the call of what you're calling me to in Scripture. And that call can look different for all of us. You don't have to be like Wakefield. I don't expect... Um, Many of you, I expect some of you to keep teaching the Bible here in this church, but I don't expect that of everybody. We have different calls. But if you believe this, why wouldn't you want to share it? Why wouldn't you think it's such good news to, to give as a gift to the world? That's what we have. Uh, and ultimately, it's the grace, like the grace of Christ. This is so good. It's so good to have the pressure off. And that's what Christ ultimately does. There's no pressure on you anymore. Um, whatever failures have been or will be, it's been paid for through faith in Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, ultimately giving us this hope. And we would ask that in your faithfulness to us, you would help us see our calling now, um, whether it is to be sent out to areas to heal diseases or cast out demons like the disciples were in Luke 9, or if it's to approach glorifying you in, in some quieter, uh, different way. We do not claim to know the exact call on even our own lives, let alone that of others. But we know that ultimately our hearts are, are being pulled between the ways of this world and your glory. So we'd ask you to win that battle within our hearts. Um, that you would restore in us a faithfulness that allows us to see your call and answer it on how we believe and how we share this good news that is Christ, paying for sins, power over death, seated at the right hand of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.